Good morning, everyone. It's uh, good uh, to be here, um, even under uh, these circumstances. Now, it's said that the uh, traveling uh, speaker has 10 suits and 10 sermons. Um, and I am, in a sense, a traveling speaker here uh, this morning. And of course, if you're a traveling speaker, the secret is to remember which suit and which sermon you preached wherever you've been. Uh, and I have been here uh, before, although it wasn't quite here. It was over uh, there in your church halls, and it was at the time uh, whenever a lot of you were away on your church weekend, and you're in the halls because you're, you're doing the remodeling work here in the church building. Um, I can't remember what suit I wore on that day, uh, but I can tell you with certainty what sermon I preached, uh, and it was actually a sermon in John uh, chapter 9. Uh, so whenever Christoph uh, phoned me yesterday and was uh, discussing this with me, it's like, but Christoph, I've preached in John 9 uh, in your church before. Uh, but he did uh, invite me uh, to preach again uh, on John chapter 9 and indeed to, to use the, the material that I, I preached uh, before as well. So that is uh, my confession. It might be an explanation for some of you if you're sitting there thinking, have I seen that fellow before? And have I heard something like this before? I just thought I would be uh, honest with you. Uh, from the very outset. Uh, but it's God's word uh, that we're turning to. And I have uh, yesterday re-looked at this sermon and seen if we can uh, come at it from a slightly different angle, but the bulk of the material will be the same. But really what we want to do is to get into John 9 uh, and to see Jesus in that. Uh, and I'm sure you've read that passage before, but each time as you uh, come afresh to God's word, God will speak to us through it. If we come hungry, if we come seeking, if we come desiring. Uh, so let's uh, pray that he will do that uh, as we come to God's word now. Let's pray. Father, we do uh, thank you for your word. And we thank you that we can uh, turn to it uh, time and time again. And hear you speak to us uh, with freshness and with clarity. And so as we uh, turn to John 9 this morning... Uh, we pray that we would have a true encounter with Jesus and that he would speak uh, into each of our lives, that he would come uh, with, with grace and truth, uh, that he would challenge us in how we are living, uh, that he would reassure us of his love for us, uh, and that we would go from this place uh, having had a life-changing encounter with you uh, as the man in this passage had too. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You, um, since September, have been uh, looking at this series where you're seeking to introduce yourselves to Jesus afresh. Uh, and you're doing that by looking at the Gospel of John. And I'm sure as you have been uh, going through the Gospel of John, there's been some times whenever you've been uh, teased by what John has been said. And you'll be like, John, just tell me a wee bit more about that. And there's other times whenever you've scratched your head and you've been confused, you've said, well, what exactly does he mean there? Because John's gospel is very succinct. He tells us things in, in snappy ways. But John's gospel is also very dense at times. And there's phrases that he uses and uh, theology that he goes into that you would say, John, I just can't quite get what you're saying there. 
You may uh, have uh, thought about that right back whenever you were in uh, the start of this series in John chapter 1 because the prologue to John's gospel, uh, though it is is dense and rich and uh, and really inspires our mind, is one of those passages which we say, look, we really just can't get it. There seems to be so much more here, John. I want you to tell me more. Think about uh, some of the themes that come out of John uh, chapter 1 there. It begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Then when you jump down to verse 14, it tells us that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. And don't you just want to get John and say to him, well, John, tell us, tell us more. What does it mean for this word, the one who created everything, to come as flesh and dwell amongst us? What would it have been like to see him? And in verse 14, he he does tell you something. He says, well, to see him and to look at him, well, we see his glory. And that is the glory of the one and only sent from the Father, full of grace and truth. And don't don't those expressions there too make you wonder, what is it like to look at one and to know one who is full of both grace and truth? Tell me more about this individual, John. Indeed, there's more themes there in John chapter 1, that of light, where it says in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Or as some translations put it, or the footnote has it, darkness has not overcome it. And you go, well, John... What does it mean for light not to be understood? For light uh, not to be overcome by darkness? And indeed you think about verse 10 where it says, He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And you go, well John, what does that mean? What does it mean for this word to become flesh and then not to be received or recognized by his very own people? Well, if you wanted to know more, uh, can I invite you to come with me into John chapter 9? Because uh, what uh, John 1 teaches us in uh, theological terms, John chapter 9 shows us in high definition. uh, Because this is a very uh, engaging story, one which is really uh, set in three scenes. And John really is nearly like the director of a movie. And those themes which he uh, introduced back in chapter 1 are coming out in this uh, full, glorious, high-definition color here in chapter 9 as we look at Jesus, uh, the one who is full of grace and truth, the one who is light shining in the darkness, and we see what that means. So, Uh, In John uh, chapter 9, we uh, can break it down into three scenes. And we see here uh, in the first scene of this movie, uh, the miracle, which really comes in verses 1 to 7. The shoot begins with uh, Jesus and his disciples walking along. And as they're walking along, they see a man who has been blind from birth. 
Now, this isn't very unusual for Jesus to have seen a blind beggar because in those days, blindness was a whole lot more common than our day. And in our days, uh, someone may have become blind due to dust or eye disease or or age and, and getting cataracts. But this is a particularly sad case because we're told that this man has been blind from birth. This man has never had the opportunity to see uh, the colors of a rainbow or look into his parents' face. Uh, This man has uh, been denied the opportunity to work and he's been reduced to living his life as a beggar. For this man to receive his sight, for light to shine into this man's darkness, it would be truly life-changing. So this man born blind uh, meets Jesus. And as he meets Jesus, he meets one whose actions and words are full of grace and truth. One who is able to come as light and shine into his darkness. So let us notice the truth of Jesus. Because as uh, the disciples and Jesus come across this man, they begin a conversation. And in this conversation, the disciples want to know, Rabbi, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Do you notice their question? They're not asking uh, how this man became blind or why this man became blind. No, they, they, they know the answer to that question. His blindness is a result of sin. That would have been the common teaching and accepted at the time. Indeed, as as the the Pharisees expressed it in verse 34, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? They knew the reason for this man's blindness. But of course, if he was born blind, this presents a bit of a theological conundrum if there's this link between sin and blindness. Because could he really have sinned in his mother's womb? Or was it his parents that sinned? And this was some sort of punishment for their sin. Put starkly like that, that really is shocking to our ears today in the 21st century. We would never dare to say that anyone was born blind because of their sin or anybody else's sin. We would never dare to put that link in our minds and in our speeches, would we? Or would we? I wonder if you can think about the last time you were ill or going through some trials and uh, and difficulties in your life. You were suffering. Did the thought ever cross your mind that I deserve this? Did it ever come into your mind that this is a result of something which I've done, uh, some sin that I've committed even deep in the past, and I deserve it? God is punishing me for this. That thought uh, may cross our minds from time to time, and though you may uh, seek to dismiss it, it's one of those arrows which Satan likes to fire deep into our consciences and to really drive that fiery dart home to say to you, You deserve this. So although we may not teach it or find it written in a book, the thought may cross our minds from time to time. time. So we need to turn and to listen to the truth of Jesus as he speaks into this man's situation and into ours today. Listen to what he says. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now, isn't that wonderful truth? 
Isn't that truth as John chapter 8 and verse 53 expresses it? Truth that sets you free. It sets you free from all guilt as you think, is this a result of my sin? Is God punishing me in some way? No, he is not. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Christian, let me uh, reassure you and be doubly clear. God never punishes you for your sin. I can say that with all the confidence and authority of Jesus Christ himself as, as he is saying it here in this passage. But we know it ultimately because God punishes only one person for your sin. And that is Jesus himself. Jesus paid it all. Jesus took it all. You are not being punished for your sin. But this wonderful truth of Jesus continues as he goes on in verse 3 here. And he says that uh, the reason that this happened to this man is so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And doesn't that change our perspective on sickness and trials? Doesn't it uh, make us think that as uh, we are going through these difficult times, God is not abandoning us. No, God is working in us, shaping us, molding us, making us more Christ-like, making us into the people that he wants us to be. Isn't that a wonderfully glorious, liberating truth? Now let uh, me add to that uh, um, uh, something which comes from uh, a blog which uh, Don Carson wrote on the Gospel Coalition website there recently. Someone asked, well, how do we know if God is disciplining us? Note the difference in the question there uh, between punishment and discipline. Because we might say, well, is, is in this trial or suffering God disciplining us in some way? Uh, Carson explains two things. He says, in any suffering or in any other event for that matter, God is doubtless doing many things, perhaps thousands of things, millions of things, even if we only detect two or three or a handful. He then says it follows that when we face suffering of any kind, we should use the occasion for self-examination. That is to say, whenever God works in our life, he doesn't bypass our brain. So we should reflect and we should seek to keep in step with his spirit as we grow the fruit of the spirit in our lives. But as Jesus speaks here, he not speaks not only full of truth, but he speaks full of grace. Uh, as we uh, see the difference in perspective between uh, Jesus and his disciples. Do you know I'm pretty sure that whenever this conversation started that uh, we don't have it fully recorded because uh, the question is certainly raised in my mind how do they know that this man was blind from birth it seems to be that they've come alongside this man and they've engaged in some sort of conversation and discovered that he's blind from birth and so that leads to the disciples question Uh, But whenever the disciples are looking and thinking about this man, they see only a theological conundrum. What does Jesus see as he looks at this man? Jesus sees an opportunity for work. He says that we must work as long as it is day. He must do the work of him who sent me. So he sees this as an opportunity to, to heal and to bring light into this man's life. And certainly that gives a challenge for our vision today. How do we look at people? Uh, Do we see them as problems or opportunities? Do we talk about them or do we engage in conversation with them? Do we condemn them or help them? Do we write them off or do we offer them life? 
Jesus sees this as an opportunity for work. And so the creator works with these, this man, making some mud. He puts it uh, on the man's eyes. He tells him to go and wash. And as the man goes and washes, he receives his sight. This creative act is bringing light into this man's darkness. And with uh, that uh, side of the miracle, we move from scene one to scene two and see the aftermath, which really is what the rest of the chapter is about. The aftermath of this miracle, which seemed to cause ripples right through the community. Uh, the, uh, Jesus is out of, of camera shot at this time, but our director, John, is able to, to show us uh, that uh, th- this miracle shows us how Jesus is understood by some people but not by others. So let us uh, see the reaction to the miracle. One thing we see is amazement, really in verses 8 to 12, by those who knew uh, this man the best. They had seen that he had uh, an encounter, or they'd seen the difference in his life, and so they're amazed and they ask questions. Uh, And indeed, whenever we have an encounter with Jesus, he always changes us in some way. It can be dramatic whenever you have that first encounter with him, but each time you come and see him again, he changes us, he molds us. And that indeed should be noticed, especially by those who know us the best. And this, uh, this, this change in his life leads uh, to a need for explanation, and we see this man witnessing You see, the the people there are asking him, how did this happen? Uh, Who did it? And uh, what of this person who did it? What of his character? Uh, And as uh, the story continues, he's questioned by those who who know him the best. And even by the Pharisees. That can uh, be intimidating. It's risking relationships with those whom he loves. And it's uh, putting himself up against those who have superior knowledge. But this man is not tripped up by clever arguments. No, he sticks with what he knows. He says, I met Jesus and he gave me sight. I don't know how to answer all your questions, but this I know. I was blind and now I see. And I want to to know this one who gave me sight more and I want to follow after him. Folks, as people look at your distinctively Christian life, that is going to raise questions. How do you respond? When it's those who you know and love the best, uh, you might be uh, scared as to how um, that, that is going to affect your relationship with them as you articulate who Jesus is and the difference that he makes uh, in your life. Um, but I think that most of those who, who knew the man born blind and knew uh, the, the times and Jesus was around and doing this miracles would have known the answer that he was going to give. And so it is with most who look in on our lives. They know why we're different. They just need us to explain it to them. So let's not be scared. Let's speak up and explain to them. And if you're unsure what to say, take a lesson from this man's life. Don't let what you don't know put you off from telling what you do know. Just explain it simply and explain it carefully and explain it with confidence. So this uh, brought amazement and a a chance for for witness. But uh, also in this aftermath, we do see conflict. Really in verses 13 to 35, we see uh, this conflict. As the man is brought to the Pharisees, 
That would have been a natural thing to do because the Pharisees were the community leaders at the time. Uh, And uh, as we come to them in verses 15 to 17 there, we see that they're debating amongst themselves. But quickly those uh, voices which seem to be wanting to find out more amongst the Pharisees, which want to find out more about Jesus and stick up for him, are silenced. And really uh, what happens is that the Pharisees have decided we're against Jesus and we're going to gather our evidence against him now. Jesus isn't around. Uh, They want to know uh, where he is. But uh, in verse 12 there, the man says, I don't know. I I don't know where he is. Uh, So whenever Jesus isn't around, what do they do? They do the very next best thing and turn on his followers. Uh, They had uh, already put the word out that this is exactly what they were going to do. Uh, We've seen it in in verse, uh, you can see that in verse 22, where the man's own parents won't stick up for him. Why? Because they were afraid of the Jews, for they already knew that the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. And this is, is, is carried out for this man in verse 34, uh, where they cast the man out from the synagogue, from the community. This man's testimony brought conflict. He was rejected by the establishment with all the implications that that would have in his community. And he was even abandoned by his family. Folks, Jesus doesn't promise promise us to have an easy walk uh, through this life. Indeed, you'll come to verses later on in John's Gospel, like chapter uh, 15 uh, and verse 18, where he says clearly, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Or over in chapter 16 and verse 33, uh, where it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus does not promise us an easy life, but look what happens. In verse 35, look how the one who is full of grace and truth reacts whenever he hears this news. In verse uh, 35 of John uh, chapter uh, 9, we read that Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, Jesus heard that this man had been cast out. And what does he do? Full of compassion, full of grace, Jesus goes and seeks him out. Next week, you'll be coming on to the passage where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Before Jesus speaks that, here you have seen it. Jesus seeks the man out. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus, uh, this man is cast out by those who love him the best uh, in in his former life. But he's cast straight into the arms of Jesus. As Jesus bears the punishment for your sin... He also stands with you as the world casts its hatred of him on you. And that is a truth that is absolutely marvelous.
And from that we move into our final scene, scene three, uh, where we really see the verdict in verses uh, 35 and 36 uh, down uh, to 41. And in this uh, scene we see how the light shines but it has not been understood by all. We see that some choose uh, and some do not accept him. We see that the light of the world can both reveal and blind. In this conversation we uh, have... Uh, Jesus coming to the man and saying, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, Tell me that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if you're blind to have been told that you have seen someone? He mustn't have had too many people uh, to sort of search through his his memory to think, well, who have I seen today? Who uh, is there who could have been the Son of Man? But Jesus here isn't uh, speaking. uh, He's speaking of himself. uh, and, and, And he isn't actually speaking about sight with physical eyes, but he's speaking of something else, something entirely different. His sight with spiritual eyes. Uh, We see this and we know this because of of how Jesus has said it there in verse 37. Uh, The Greek there is in the perfect tense. He's talking about an action or something which has taken place in the past. So Jesus is saying you have rather than you have now seen him. So you have seen him in the past. Well, when in the past? If you remember back to how this miracle was carried out in in verse 6, Jesus made mud and then he sent him away. Uh, And and so whenever he he washed and opened his eyes for the first thing, Jesus was nowhere around. Uh, And then he he moves amongst his community and Jesus was, was somewhere else. So when did this man see Jesus? Well, he's been seeing him with spiritual eyes uh, all throughout uh, this passage. Look at how his spiritual sight has developed. In verse uh, 11, people are asking him, how were your eyes opened? And he says, well, the man they call Jesus. Uh, And then going on down to verse 17, uh, finally they they turn to the blind man and say, what have you to say about them, about Jesus? It it was your eyes he opened, and, and now he says, well... He's a prophet. Uh, and then as, we, as the conversation and debate continues, even in this antagonistic fashion with the, the, the Pharisees in verse 32 and, uh, and, and, and 31, he says, uh, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of the opening the eyes of a blind man. If this man were not from God, so do you see the progression there? Do you see from man to prophet to someone who has been sent from God? And then in verse 37, he said, or verse 38, he says, The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He became a worshipper. He knew that this was God, God himself standing in front of him. And so with eyes fully opened, he bowed and worshipped him. And folks, this is where this story also gets very relevant for us all. uh, Because the man was born blind with a double blindness. That of his spirit and that of his body. Uh, and, And so, although we may not be born blind physically, we're all born blind spiritually. So we need to say, how is our eyesight 
We might uh, be able to understand how our eyesight is better if we consider what spiritual blindness is. And we can see that in the light uh, uh, played out by the Pharisees. Uh, You see, they think that they can see, but really they're blind. And it's obvious to us that there are people who are fumbling around in the dark. And I think one of the the maybe comic ways that you can see this is how uh, they, they talk about mud in this chapter. Uh, In verse 14, uh, we're given this comment. Now, the day in which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Uh, And uh, then the Pharisees in verse 16 are very concerned because Jesus made mud on the Sabbath. Now, making mud isn't difficult. My kids can make mud. You just need to add some water to some dirt and you've made mud. It's nothing outstanding. But the Pharisees are fixated in this mud, especially because it's illegal to do it on a Sunday. And they can't get beyond the fact that he has broken this law to see the fact that he has opened the eyes of the blind. These Pharisees are are spiritually blind. Uh, They they, uh, stubbornly are holding on to dim candles, refusing to let go, even though the light of the world who does wonderful miracles is standing before them. So the question comes down to us, how do we see Jesus? Are we looking at him and worshipping him? Or are we closing our eyes and rejecting him? What is our eyes focused on? As we think about what our eyes see, listen to this poem from Paul Tripp. He says, I would like to think that others are blind, but I am not. I would like to think that I have clarity of vision, a penetrating insight that lights my ways. I'm good at recognizing the slight problem of others. I am skilled at pointing out the gaps in their vision and the blind spots that alter how they see and the way they respond. I would like to believe that I have 20-20 vision, but the evidence points to the sad fact I don't. I have the stunning ability to look around and not see you, God. I see my busy schedule, tasks to complete, problems to solve, people to see, demands to meet, things to repair, pressures to face, temptations to fight, pleasures to consume, things to build, things to tear down, plans to make, difficulties to survive, huge responsibilities in short days. I gaze at my life every day and again and again. I fail to see you. I wonder if you can uh, see yourself in that poem as you see uh, so much but fail to see the glory of Jesus. Well, take heart because Jesus is the one who opens the eyes of the blind. That poem says, So I seek your healing one more time. Please place your powerful hands on my broken eyes and give me sight once again. We may be like the man here and our spiritual sight may be open gradually or it may come in a flash. There may be days whenever clouds seem to cover the glory and the light of God, but take heart. Those clouds will disappear and Jesus will give you full sight. Keep seeking after him. Keep looking to him. Keep reflecting on what he says and you will see. Let us pray. Father, we do uh, thank you that uh, you and your son Jesus are in the business of opening blinded eyes. 
And Father, we know that there are times whenever uh, we do not see you clearly. In fact, all of us here um, want to see you more and to glimpse more and more of your glory. So Father, we do pray that you would uh, shine into our lives uh, and that we would uh, know you, the glorious one who came on this earth full of grace and truth. Father, we pray for those who need to see you for the first time and pray that you, by your Spirit, would have the, the mercy to do that in their lives once, once again. We pray for those who are in darkness at this time, going through difficult days of trying circumstances, and pray that you would shine into the darkness. At this time, we'd especially lift Lutz, Christoph, and the family to you. And in the darkness that surrounds them, we pray that you would shine your light clearly. May they be able to glimpse you, and may they be able to rest in the knowledge that you're with them. Father, be with us all as we continue to worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.